We turn to chapter 31 of Genesis, and we look at the life of Jacob again this morning. Very interesting that Jacob, as he uh, lived his life earlier, he, he looked at life, it's all about Jacob. But he's beginning to see that it's not all about Jacob, it's all about the Lord. And we find that very clearly in this text, in Genesis chapter 31, and we're going to read verses 1 through 13. Now Jacob heard the words of Laban's sons, saying, Jacob has taken away all that was our father's, and from what belonged to our father he has made all this wealth. Jacob saw the attitude of Laban, and behold, it was not friendly toward him as formerly. Then the Lord said to Jacob, Return to the land of your fathers, to your relatives, and I will be with you. So Jacob sent and called Rachel and Leah to, to his flock in the field. And he said to them, I see your father's attitude that it is not friendly toward me as formerly. But the God of my father has been with me. You know that I have served your father with all my strength. Yet your father has cheated me and changed my wages ten times. However, God did not allow him to hurt me. If he spoke thus, the speckled shall be your wages, then all the flock brought forth speckled. And if he spoke thus, the striped shall be your wages, then all the flock brought forth striped. Thus God has taken away your father's livestock and given them to me. And it came about at the time when the flock were mating that I lifted up my eyes and I saw in a dream... And behold, the male goats which were mating were striped, speckled, and mottled. Then the angel of God said to me in the dream, Jacob, and I said, Here I am. He said, Lift up now your eyes and see all the male goats which are mating are striped, speckled, and mottled. For I have seen all that Laban has been doing to you. I am the God of Bethel, where you anointed a pillar, where you made a vow to me. Now arise, leave this land, and return to the land of your birth. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word today and for what you teach us. So many that live life today as if it's all about me, that if the world revolved around us, Lord, help us to see very clearly today that it's not about us, it's about you. About your goodness and your promise and your faithfulness and your protection and your provision and your direction in our lives. Oh Lord, teach us to trust you today. That you have a plan for us, that you have a purpose for us. That you will lead us and you will guide us. That we can trust you. And we can know, O God, that your plan is always what is best. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. When we are born into this world, we live as if the world revolves around us. Ever thought about that? We are as cute as can be. And I'm not sure who that is, but there's a pretty cute baby. We are as cute as can be, but we want to eat on our schedule. We want to sleep on our schedule. 
We go potty anytime we want, and we aren't a bit least bothered if we make life challenging for others. We may not be able to say it, but here is our motto. It's all about me. (laughs) My schedule, my time, my desires, and I guess that's just the way it is when we're born into this world. The challenge we face as we grow older is to learn that it isn't all about me. Some people learn this fairly early in life. They realize that it's not about them, but but others seem to struggle with that. They want things to be done in their time, in their way, and they are willing to do what it takes to get what they want. This is what Jacob was like. He had proved repeatedly that he was willing to do what he had to do to get what he wanted. But now he's at a point in his life where he's beginning to realize that it isn't all about Jacob. Through some difficult years, he's starting to realize that it's just the opposite. It's not about me. It's about him. It's about God. And and there are three things that Jacob is learning about God. First of all, he is learning this truth that God is the director of our paths. About six years prior to this text that we look at this morning, Jacob wanted to go home. He had spent seven years working for Leah, and then another seven years working for Rachel. Fourteen years. And he had had enough of his uncle, now father-in-law, Laban. And so he told Laban, I want to go home. I want to go home. We see that in chapter 30, verse 25 and 26. It says, It came about when Rachel had born Joseph that Jacob said to Laban, Send me away, that I may go to my own place and to my own country. Give me my wives and my children for whom I have served you, and let me depart. For you yourself know my service which I have rendered to you. But Laban convinced Jacob to stay longer. And it ended up being another six years. So if you add it all up, it was 20 long years. Quite a contrast to what his mother said. Remember when he left and was on his way? uh, Esau wanted to kill him. Rebekah had told him just, just a few days. You'd be gone a few days and Esau's anger will subside. Well, a few days ended up being 20 years. And those 20 years were very difficult years. As we come to chapter 31, then things had come to a head in Jacob's relationship with Laban and his sons. And Jacob knew that he was in trouble. Verse 1 says that he heard the, the words of Laban's son saying that Jacob has taken away all that was our father's and from what belonged to our father. And he has made all this wealth. Jacob saw the attitude of Laban, and behold, it was not friendly toward him as formerly. And it was at this time then that God told Jacob it was time to go home. We see that in verse 3. The Lord said to Jacob, return to the land of your fathers and to your relatives, and I will be with you. 
So even though Jacob wanted to go home six years earlier, it wasn't God's time then. God still had some things that he wanted to teach Jacob. And when the time was right, when the time was right, then he told Jacob, okay, it's time to go home. Have you ever had to learn that lesson? Have you ever wanted to get out of a difficult situation, but God wasn't ready to move you? Ever faced a situation where you said, you know what, I want, I, I want out of here. This is not fun. This, this is not a situation I want to stay in. But God didn't allow you to move. You see, when we want to leave a difficult situation, we need to be sure that we are being led by God and not just by a desire in our lives to make things easier. We often say, Lord, I'll go where you want me to go. And that's a good thing. But there are times when we must also say, Lord, I'll stay where you want me to stay. Jacob wanted to go six years earlier, but God did not want him to go then. There was another six years of a very difficult time that God used in Jacob's life to continue to mold him and to shape him. And finally, when that 20-year period was done, God said, okay, Jacob, now it's time to go home. Now, God can, and sometimes certainly does, use difficulty to direct us in a different way. But we must not assume that whenever difficulty comes into our lives, it's time to leave. God may still have something to teach us where we are, and we would be wise to let Him do that. David Roper, writing in our Daily Bread devotional, tells of meeting a man by the name of Phipps Festus Born. Some of you may have read this devotion. Born was a master wood carver whose carvings were almost exact replicas of real objects. And he said this, he said, carving a duck is simple. You just look at a piece of wood, get in your head what a duck looks like, and then cut everything off that doesn't look like a duck. Simple, right? So now you know how to become a wood carver. Get in your mind a picture of that which you're going to carve, and then cut off whatever doesn't fit. Simple, right? Yeah, it sounds simple. Well, Roper goes on to say, so it is with God. He looks at you and me, blocks of rough wood, envisions the Christ-like woman or man hidden beneath the bark, knots, and twigs, and then begins to carve away everything that does not fit that image. We would be amazed if we could see how beautiful we are as finished ducks, he says. But then he writes, but first we must accept that we are a block of wood and allow the artist to cut, shape, and sand us where he will. This means viewing our circumstances, pleasant or unpleasant, as God's tools that shape us. 
He forms us one part at a time into the beautiful creature he envisioned in our ungainly lump of wood. And he concludes by saying, sometimes the process is wonderful, sometimes it is painful, but in the end, all of God's tools conform us to the image of his son. And I would suggest to you that that was the lesson that Jacob needed to learn. God still had some carving to do. Some sanding to do in his life. It wasn't time to go home until God said it was. He is the director of our paths and his plan is is always best. God is the director of our paths. Well, it's the second lesson. God is the provider of our needs. During the time that Jacob was working for Laban, it was a very difficult working relationship. And notice how Jacob describes what it was like to his wives, Leah and Rachel. In verse 4, he gathered them to his flock and he said, I see your father's attitude that it is not friendly toward me as formerly. But the God of my father has been with me. You know that I've served your father with all my strength. Yet your father has cheated me. And he has changed my wages ten times. So if you think Jacob was a deceiver, and indeed he was, just think of what Laban was like. Jacob clearly met his match in Laban. Changed his wages ten times. Just like putting a a carrot on the string, right? And you just about grab the carrot and they pull it a little farther. And you just about grab the carrot and they keep pulling it. All these promises that, that Laban was making to Jacob, he never kept them. Ten times. Ten times he changed his wages. And it wasn't just Jacob. Not only did he use Jacob for selfish reasons, he also used his daughters for selfish reasons. Reasons. Look what they told Jacob when it was time to go. Jump down to verse 14. Rachel and Leah said to him, Do we still have any portion or inheritance in our father's house? Are we not reckoned by him as foreigners? For he has sold us and has entirely consumed our purchase price. And I always kind of wonder, what, what, what do they mean by that? But one author says this, Particularly grievous to Laban's daughters was the ugly fact that their father had sold them and devoured the proceeds. The price of the bride, which was Jacob's 14 years of wages, was supposed to be held in trust in the event that they were abandoned or widowed. But Jacob's long labor had benefited their father alone. So that money was supposed to be put in trust in case Jacob left them. Then that money would be used to provide for them. But Jacob took it all, or Laban took it all. And that's what the daughters are referring to there. So Jacob, or so, excuse me, so Laban cheated Jacob. And he also cheated his daughters. And yet notice in the midst of that, in the midst of that, God provided for Jacob's needs. Look at verse 8. If Laban said, the speckled shall be your wages, 
And what happened? Then all of the flock brought forth speckled. And if he said, the striped shall be your wages, then all the flock brought forth striped. Thus God has taken away your father's livestock and given them to me. And it came about at the time when the flock were mating that I lifted up my eyes and I saw in a dream. And behold, the male goats which were mating were striped, speckled and mottled. Then the angel of God said to me in a dream, Jacob, I said, here I am. He said, lift up now your eyes and see that all the male goats which are mating are striped, speckled, and mottled. For I have seen all that Laban has been doing to you. Isn't that interesting? I have seen, God says. I've been watching. I have been observing. I've seen how you've been cheated by Laban. And I have provided for your needs. In spite of all that Laban has done to you, I have been your provider. So God was able to take care of Jacob in spite of what Laban had done to him. He couldn't trust in Laban, but he could certainly trust in God. He could rest in the Lord's promise, in the Lord's care, in the Lord's provision. God would continue to provide for his needs. But what's interesting, if you look at verse 17, when it came time for Jacob to leave, instead of resting in God's care at this point, he kind of went back to his old ways. Verse 17, Then Jacob arose and put his children and his wives upon camels. And he drove away all his livestock and all his property which he had gathered, his acquired livestock which he had gathered in Pat and Aram, to go to the land of Canaan, to his father Isaac. When Laban had gone to shear his flock, then Rachel stole the household idols that were his father, her father's. And then notice verse 20, And Jacob deceived Laban by not telling him that he was fleeing. That interesting. God had just made it clear to Jacob that he would provide for all of his needs. But now he's facing a situation here where he he starts to kind of go back to the old ways. He had been a deceiver all his life. And now instead of being honest and going to Laban and saying, God has told me it's time to go back home, he sneaks out. Without even allowing his Wives, Rachel and Leah, to say goodbye to their dad without allowing the grandchildren to say goodbye to grandpa and grandma. They just take off. And if you jump down to verse 31, you'll see why it is that he left. It was out of fear. Out of fear. So instead of trusting that God would continue to provide for him, Jacob went back to his old ways. God was clearly making some progress in Jacob's life in molding him. But he still had a ways to go, didn't he? You know, it's easy to look at the life of Jacob and you just think, you know what? You don't learn very fast, do you? (laughs) You go back to your old ways when you get in a tight situation. Jacob, you need to trust God. He's the one that directs you. He's the one that provides for you. You just need to rest in his care. 
And yet we look at our lives and aren't, aren't we like Jacob too? We, we have a ways to go, don't we? Any of you arrived at a, a, a plane of, of just absolute perfect trust in the Lord? You never doubt, you never worry, you never uh, fail. We are all in process, aren't we? That work begins when we put our trust in Jesus. And then that, that, that work of sanctification, it is a process. It does not happen overnight. There is still room for growth in every one of our lives, isn't there? And yet we look at Jacob and say, come on, man. You need to learn to trust. After all, it's God God has done for you. You're going to go back and deceive now? Come on, Jacob. We're really no different. Through it all, God provided for him. As the director of his path, as the provider of his needs. And then thirdly, notice that God is the protector of our lives. When Laban found out that Jacob had taken off without saying goodbye, he was not happy. Verse 22 says, When it was told Laban on the third day that Jacob had fled, Then he took his kinsmen with him and pursued him a distance of seven days' journey, and he overtook him in the hill country of Gilead. Imagine that. Seven days it took him to catch up to Jacob. And one author says the terms that are used to describe his pursuit here are militaristic terms. In other words, Laban's on the warpath. He is not a happy camper. Here Jacob just takes off and takes Laban's daughters and grandkids, and so he's traveling. And I bet you day after day he's getting more, more angry all along. How could he do this to me? So here he is, seven days' journey. When he caught up to him, verse 26 says, Then Laban said to Jacob, What have you done by deceiving me? And carrying away my daughters like captives of the sword. Why did you flee secretly and deceive me? Notice twice. And you did not tell me so that I might have sent you away with joy and with songs and with timbrel and lyre. Why did you not allow me to kiss my sons and my daughters? Now you have done foolishly. But then verse 29 He says, it is in my power to do you harm. But the God of your father spoke to me last night, saying, be careful not to speak either good or bad to Jacob. Jacob had put himself in a dangerous position. By going back to deception, he angered his father-in-law. And his father-in-law basically said, Jacob, I could harm you if I want But God came to me and he told me not to hurt you. So what did Jacob learn there? Jacob learned that God can protect him. That God can provide for him. That he can trust God. Even though he had done a foolish thing. Again. God cared for him. It was out of fear. I mentioned that before. Verse 31. Then Jacob replied to Laban, because I was afraid. I thought that you would take your daughters from me by force. That's why I took off. 
I thought you wouldn't let me take them with me. He gave in to fear. And when you think about it, fear is really a a powerful emotion, isn't it? We do things out of fear that we wouldn't normally do. Have you found that to be true in your life? When you're afraid? When Abraham was afraid, he lied about Sarah, didn't he? She's not my wife. She's my sister. When Abraham's son Isaac was afraid, he did the same thing. She's not my wife. She's my sister. And now Isaac's son Jacob, when he's afraid, deception. Same thing. It seems like a pattern that was repeating itself from generation to generation. And the, the next generation after that, remember when Joseph was sold by the brothers into slavery, they came back with the garment with blood on it and handed it to Jacob, lying about what had really happened to Joseph. So you can see that from generation to generation to generation, it was deception, it was lying. Whenever fear came in, instead of... Trusting God's provision. There was deception. There was dishonesty. It's easy to look at men like Jacob and kind of shake our head. Come on, Jacob. You need to trust the Lord. Don't give in to fear. Don't, don't follow this pathway of deception. But there's lessons we haven't learned as well. We are a work in progress, aren't we? Sanctification is a process. It begins the moment we put our trust in Jesus, but it continues as we walk with him each day. So my challenge to you this morning is this. Don't live your life as, as if it's all about you. It's not about you. It's not about me. It's all about Him. He who is the director of our paths. He who is the provider of our needs. He who is the protector of our lives. And when we begin to understand what that really means, it has a way of, of changing our lives. When I was a senior in high school, we had to write a paper. And if you didn't write that paper, you wouldn't graduate. And the title of the paper was Things I Want to Do Before I Die. Now, that would be a great opportunity, wouldn't it be, for a Christian to share the Lord? Well, I wrote that paper, and I had my life all planned out, you know. Here's what I'm going to do after high school, and here's my, my goals, and this and that, you know. I wanted to play pro baseball, and if that didn't work, then I was going to go to college, I was going to get this degree, and, you know, just on and on, just garbage, really. It was all about me. All about me. Here's my plan. Here's my goals. Here's my desires. 
And then at the end, I put something little spiritual, you know, but I really want God's blessing on my life. Just like God, you stamped this, you know. It was all about me. All about me. And it wasn't until I was a sophomore in college that that changed. Where I finally came to the place where I said, Lord, it's not about me. It's about you. What is your will for my life? That's the first time I can remember seriously laying my life on the altar and saying, Lord, not my will, Lord, but your will be done. Because prior to that, it was my will. And I wanted God to bless it. I wanted him to say, yeah, that's okay. I'll go with you. (laughs) Rather than saying, Lord, I want to go with you. What is your will for me? I didn't say those exact words. It's all about you, Lord. But that's what happened that night. I basically said, Lord, I'm, I'm tired of running. Like I was running from his will for my life and I had everything planned out. And I just said, okay, Lord, what's your plan for me? What's your will for me? I'll go where you want me to go, Lord. I'll do what you want me to do. And I can tell you, I have never regretted that day, ever. Has it been always easy? No. I have to be honest with you. It hasn't always been easy. There are challenges. There are ways that God shapes us and molds us. He scrapes away the things that are not of Him. Sands away those things like the man making a duck out of wood. But I wouldn't trade it for anything. And that's my prayer that you, like Jacob, would come to that place where you realize that it's not about you. It's about Him. That you'd say, Lord, not my will, but yours be done. For some of you, that may happen in Bible school. As you spend time under the Word and God begins to stir your heart. But I pray that it will happen in all of our lives. That we'd say, Lord, it's not about me. It's about you. Not my will, Lord, but your will be done. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for the patience that you've shown to so many of us when we basically wanted our own will to be done and wanted you to bless it. Oh God, show us today from the life of Jacob how good it is to come to that place, Lord, where we recognize that you're the one that directs our paths. That you're the one that provides for our needs. You're the one that protects our lives. And that the best place to be is in the center of your will. Allowing you, Lord, to shape us and mold us and lead us and guide us and use us. For the glory and the praise of your name. Oh God, have your way in our lives today. That you might be glorified. That you might be honored that you might use us in ways that we might not even have dreamt of, Lord. Thank you for your goodness. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.